good morning to you and online and down in F3. Glad you're joining with us. Hey, do you remember though, as a kid uh, sitting at a doctor's office waiting to be tortured and there were the highlight magazines and it was those, you know, find the hidden picture games, you know, here's some Noah's Ark and you were supposed to find the hidden pictures. Uh, now the key was you, you blend in those hidden pictures so well into the background and, you know, it takes uh, kids a while to find him and well I, I did this uh, yesterday and it took me I don't know 10 minutes to 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 find the answers I think my grandkids could do it in uh, um, two but uh, uh, find the hidden picture um, many Christians play a similar game find the hidden Christian you know the chameleon Christian just blends in to the world around them kind of just uh, blends in and, and you wonder, what? are they really? Um, taking on the philosophy, the mindset of the world, blending in. Now, for over a year, we have been going through the book of uh, Romans. Great truths in the book of Romans. We've gone through the first 11 chapters of the book of Romans. The good news about God. Last week on Easter morning, we... Uh, I kind of went through uh, the, the, the great movements of the book of Romans and um, the good news about God. Good news that uh, we don't have righteousness of our own, but he gave us his. Jesus Christ came into the world. He died and he paid for our sins. And that great exchange of him taking our sins upon himself, he giving us his righteousness as a free gift, God looking upon us, seeing the righteousness of his son, he declares us to be right before him. He acquits us of all sin, of all crime, because Jesus paid for that. The great exchange. Uh, but the good news was also, not only do we have, in a judicial sense, the righteousness of God, so that in his court of law, he, he acquits us, he declares us to be right. He actually gives us his very presence, the Holy Spirit, so that we can live out righteousness in a day-to-day -day basis, that we can experience it, that we can live it out. Because God just doesn't want us to know truths. He really wants us to experience the truth. Um, he doesn't want us to blend in to the society around us. He wants us to stand out as children of the light and reflect glory and honor to Him. Uh, which is why the final five chapters of the book of Romans focuses on the, the more practical outworking of righteousness. The first 11 chapters have been a focus on the doctrines, the, the truth, the doctrines, and the last five are going to focus more on the, the duties. What does this look like? After revelation comes responsibility. After you lay out the biblical principles, then comes the practice, the living it out. Practical righteousness doesn't necessarily flow from our positional righteousness. We're declared right because of the grand transaction. But it has to be lived out. It has to be experienced. Paul then, starting in chapter 12, urges people to live righteously. Live in light of his love. So chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. Now, the five chapters are introduced by these first two really, really important verses. 
Romans chapter 12, 1 and 2, I urge you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And don't be conformed to the world's way of thinking, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you can prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. And in these two verses, I think there's a real simple outline. God, through the Apostle Paul, is going to say, let me give you the motivation for living an effective Christian life. And let me tell you what the essence of the real Christian life is all about. And let me also share with you the means by which you can achieve that, as well as the result of the means of achieving an effective Christian life. So I want it this morning, as we introduce this final kind of section of the book of Romans, chapters 12 through 16, unpack these first two verses just a little bit more thoroughly this morning, and then we're going to build on it in the next, uh, in the next few weeks. In, um, throughout the New Testament, we are given some very powerful motivators to living out the Christian life. Um, a lot of those motivators have to do with uh, what is yet to come, future, future glory. So for instance, 1 John chapter 3, John reminds us, Beloved, now we are children of God and has not yet appeared as yet what we will be. We know that when he appears, we will be like him because we'll see him just as he is. So there's the, the future outlook. Now, he says, everyone who has this hope fixed on him purifies himself just as he is pure. In other words, John is saying, look, let me give you some motivation. You want to live carefully here on earth because you're going to see him one day. He's coming again. John, or Paul put it this way in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Therefore... I run in such a way, in other words, I live my life here on earth in such a way as not without aim. I box in such a way as not beating the air. But I discipline my body, I make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself might not be disqualified. Paul is thinking of something future. He's not talking about that he's going to lose his eternal salvation, but he is talking about he's going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Rewards are going to be given in faithful service to God as it will be for any of us who are believers in Jesus Christ. Fact of the matter is, we are all going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ one day. It's, it's, it's as real as you're sitting here and I'm standing here this morning. We are all going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ and Paul says we're going to have to give an account. And God will reward us accordingly and how here, here's, the, here's the sobering truth. How we have lived our life here on earth in this little speck of sand called our lifetime amidst the, the ocean of sands of eternity, this little speck of sand, how we're living our life now is going to determine how we're going to serve our God in all of eternity to come. It is critically important how we're living our life right now critically important. And that's why Paul said, I buffet my body. I, I make it my slave. I don't, I don't want to be disqualified. Future glory, powerful motivator. But it's not just what's coming. In Romans 12, 1, Paul is saying, I, I beg of you by the mercies of God. Therefore, because of the mercies of God, 
And what Paul is basically saying is, based on everything I've written in the last 11 chapters, based on everything that you can bundle up and call the mercies of God, that he sent his son into this world, that Jesus paid for our sins, that we were declared right and justified. It's a free gift offered by faith and faith alone. That because of what Christ has done, Romans 5, 1, we have peace with God. That chapter 6, 7, and 8, we have power to live that righteous life. That end of chapter 8, that because of Christ, nothing separates us from the love of God. Who is going to bring a charge against God's elect? Jesus is the one who justifies. Nothing separates us from his love. Chapters 9, 10, and 11. God is faithful to his promises, and one day the deliverer is going to come. All of these wonderful truths, all the height, the depth, of the riches, of the, of the wonder of God, he concluded in chapter 11. And based on those mercies, it's powerful motivation, how should we then live? And he says, therefore I urge you, brother. He doesn't command us, now he could have, He's the Apostle Paul. He could have gotten the whip out and said, all right, here's a command. But there's something really more powerful, powerful motivation more than just a command from the Apostle Paul. It is this appeal. It's a very emotional term. It's, I earnestly, you can almost say, I, I'm pleading with you. I'm earnestly begging you. I urge you with the, the greatest of, uh, of appeal. Live an effective Christian life. Based on the mercies of God, live out who you really are as a Christian. You see, the effective Christian life is lived in the shadow of the cross. You show me a person who, who has been touched and and has grappled with and has come to a deeper understanding of the truths of Romans 1 through 11. I'll show you a Christian whose life is, is changing because it's a powerful motivation. Oh, look at the mercies of God, Paul is saying. I urge you, based on the mercies of God, if these truths uh, we've been studying in Romans chapter 1 through 11 have grabbed your heart, there is going to be life change. Which is why, as we often say, we need to preach ourselves the gospel every day. <laughs> That's what we've done this morning at the Lord's table. Do this in remembrance of me. What were we remembering? Jesus died for our sins. His blood was shed. His body was broken for us. He did that because he loved us. To give us new life. Not so that we squander it away, that we live it in a compelling way for his glory. And that is the essence of the Christian life. He goes on and says, I urge you by the mercies of God, present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice. What is Paul suggesting here? The essence of, of effective Christian living, he says, present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice. That, that word present is more or less a technical term. You think of the Old Testament as people brought their sacrificial lamb, their, their sacrifices, and they came and they, and they presented it before the Lord. 
They dedicated the offering to the Lord. The offer came before that brazen altar. It became the Lord's. It was his. that Hannah, in the Old Testament story, presented her son Samuel. He is yours. Paul is saying the essence of the Christian life is present in a, in a, in a technical way. Devote yourself, dedicate yourselves to God. But what are we to present? I urge you, I strongly appeal, I beg of you, present your bodies. Now that harkens back to the theological section again. We won't take the time to go back there, but it's over there in Romans chapter 6. If you missed those sermons back uh, whenever it was, uh, look them up, they're on the internet. It's a crucial section, Romans chapter 6. We are to present the members of our body as instruments of righteousness. Remember how we have talked about in our study of Romans that the moment we trust Christ as our Savior, the internal me is forever transformed? Jesus comes to take residence in our life. We are raised up to newness of life in Christ. We are not the people we once were. Therefore, we don't have to do the things we once did. We are forever altered in terms of our inner man. The problem is the inner man is encased in an outer man, in, a, in an earth suit that is still susceptible and the avenue through which sin operates. And that's what Paul was struggling with in Romans chapter 7. Oh, the good I want to do, I don't do. I'm doing the very thing I hate, oh, wretched man that I am. Who will set me free, Paul says, from this body of sin? Thanks be to God, through Jesus Christ. And so what Paul is saying now in this practical section, the practical outworking, is I beg of you, Take the Christian life seriously. Present as a, as, a, as a sacrificial offering for God's use, dedicated to God, that body of yours that is so susceptible to sin. Present our bodies for His glory. It's similar to what Paul said elsewhere in 1 Corinthians 9 when he said, do you not know that your body is a, is a temple of the Holy Spirit? We've been bought with a price, he says. Therefore, glorify God in your body. We have been purchased with a, with a price. And a body that is fully yielded to God, it's essential for believers to live out an effective Christian life. Offer your bodies, he says, as a what? As a sacrifice. As a sacrifice. It involves cost. As Diedrich Bonhoeffer once wrote, who was killed by the Nazis. When Christ calls a man, he calls him to come and die. Present yourselves as a sacrifice. Here I am, Lord. Take me. I struggle with my mouth. I struggle with my, my, what I see. Lord, I, I, I love to hear those juicy bits of gossip. I, my feet take me sometimes, and I don't want to go there, but I, Lord, there's the sin that so easily entangles me. You see, when an Old Testament worshiper placed that spotless lamb upon that altar, he was relinquishing all rights and all claims. Here it is, Lord. Folks, this is we're talking about serious Christian living. Where we get up in the morning and say, Lord, here I am. I know I'm going to be susceptible to issues today, to struggles, to temptations, whatever it might be. So I present my, my bodies to you, Lord, my body to you. It's yours, Lord. Help me. Strengthen me. 
I want to be a, an offering for you. You, he says, are not your own. You've been bought with a, th- uh, with a price. Now, there's three adjectives that, de- that describe this kind of sacrifice. Living, holy, and pleasing, acceptable to God. It's living, he said, present yourself a living because we have been raised to newness of life in Christ. Fact of the matter is, as believers in Jesus Christ, we are alive in Christ. Paul is saying, live like it. Present yourselves as a, as a living sacrifice, not characterized by spiritual deadness, but the full vitality that the Holy Spirit can empower within us. You are a living sacrifice, holy, separated unto God. That's who our real identity is. We've been born again. We are saints of the high calling. We have been separated for his service. Paul is saying, now let's live like it, holy, living, and pleasing, acceptable to him. It's a mindset that says, Lord, if what I'm going to say right now or what I'm thinking right now or, or what I'm watching right now or where I'm going, does that please you? Father, if I say this, will that be pleasing to you? If I watch this, will, will, that, will that honor you? Will that be acceptable to you? If I imbibe in, in uh, that uh, <clears throat> chocolate cake dessert with a double load of ice cream, I mean, will that be acceptable to you? Uh, well, now we're meddling, but you, you get the point. We are to live our lives, and Paul is pleading. I beg of you, present yourselves this kind of a, of a sacrifice. It's living, it's holy, and you consider each step of our life. Lord, is this pleasing to you? What God wants from our lives is a life that is lived in the dynamic of the spiritual power that he has already given us, to live a separated life of sin, to live a life that pleases him in all things. And then Paul adds in that final phrase, he says, which is your spiritual service of worship? And really, literally, the the word worship isn't in the text. King James, I think, uh, New King James says, which is your spiritual service? But it's bundled up in that word service. Um, Service is a, a, again, I think a technical term for uh, almost the, the liturgy of worship. It's coming before God and saying, Lord, this is, you're worthy. My life is to be lived in, in a worshipful way. I want to honor you. I want to please you with my life. Take my life and, and let it be wholly consecrated, Lord, to thee. It is to, he says, it's your spiritual work of service. That word spiritual is an interesting little Greek word, logikos. Sounds like what? logical, logical. I think what Paul is saying by the use of that term is saying, now, think back of all the first 11 chapters of Romans. Think of what God has done for us. My goodness, he sent his son to die for us. He paid for my sins. He did all the work. He entered into the grand transaction where he died and paid for my sins and then he gives me as a free gift simply by, upon the basis of faith, his righteousness. I have peace with God. I have now power to live every moment. I'm forever loved by God 
Never be separated from his love. Think of this logically. Why would we not want to give him everything back? Present yourselves, your bodies, a living, holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is just downright common sense logical. It's not mechanical. Think this through. Living effective Christian lives is not a mindless ritual. Preach to ourselves every day the good news, the gospel. Remind ourselves whose we are and at what price the blood of Jesus. Think it through. Be thinking Christians. Man, if I gave you a dollar for every time you heard that in the life here at Fellowship Bible Church, the Christian life is won or lost right here between the ears. It's a thinking person's religion. And consider what Christ has done, Romans 1 through 11. Therefore, I beg of you, Paul says, live it out. Present your bodies as a, as a living, holy, acceptable sacrifice to God. Radical abandonment to God out of reverent devotion for God. That's what Paul is talking about. That's the essence of Christian living based upon the greatest motivator there is, the mercies of God. But, but how is that possible? How can one become a living sacrifice for God? Well, it's not out of rigid outward conformity. It's some legalistic, mindless um, ritual acts. Uh, Paul tells us the next thing in these two verses, the, the means by which we achieve this, he says, is by the what? The renewing of our minds. He says in verse 2, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of our minds. We have two alternatives that are put before us. There's the negative one, don't be conformed to the world. Don't be fashioned by the world's way of thinking. Don't, don't allow the world to squeeze you into its mold, into its thinking. This, this present evil age, this world that is held in the grip of the evil one, that is shaped by the thinking of the evil one, and his deceptive, insidiously evil mindset. Paul is saying every believer in Jesus Christ is susceptible to thinking like the world thinks. You know, it's, it's, it's one of these things we've said oftentimes here as well. If you want to know what a Christian's capable of doing, read everything that we're encouraged and commanded not to do. And here's one of them. Don't be conformed to the world's way of thinking. Why did Paul write that? Because it's possible. Now, John Morrison in the next two weeks is going to come and unpack this even further, the world's way of thinking. But you know, we can throw out ideas. I mean, consumerism, right? The, 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 the one with the most toys wins. I'll be happier if I have this. It's the, the, the ph philosophical motto of the United States of America. To have is to be. And my identity is defined by what I have, what I own, the house I live, the car I drive. And Christians, God's children, can be squeezed into that type of mindset. It happens all the time. Sensuality. We are increasingly, it seems like, becoming a, a, a morally perverted society. And we live and we breathe in this culture of, of sensuality. It's the, 
TV that we watch, it's the movies we see, it's, what's, uh, it's the advertisements that pop up all the time. It's, it's, it's just insidious into our society. There, last uh, two weeks ago, Christianity Today, a major Christian publication, talked about the quote, I think it was titled, The Dilemma of Evangelical Pastors Over the Problem of Cohabitation. Now, the article went on to talk about um, how Christian young people it's the thing to do. It's, you cohabitate before you're married. And now there are these couples who are cohabitating together and, and sexually active. Now they're coming to the pastors and wanting them to marry them. The dilemma, John Morrison sent that to us and said, dilemma? What's the dilemma? It's wrong. There's no dilemma. No, we're not going to marry you. <laughs> Separate, be celibate, and um, work on your relationship with God, and we'll consider marrying you. But Christianity Today wrote it as the dilemma of evangelical pastors because pastors are biting their fingernails. What, what should I do? What should I do? Because it has encroached in our society so much so that it's the thing to do. The institution of marriage is out the door. It's the world's way of thinking. It's encroaching. Individualism. I'm defined by what's best for me, of, of how I want to be defined. I want to be identified by my sex, by my gender, by my race, by my nationality, by my favorite football team. And so, but it's all about me. And you need to accept me, how I want to be defined. And it's encroaching into the mindset of the church. Paul is saying, don't be squeezed into the world's way of thinking. Now, like I said, John is going to unpack, take two weeks and unpack a little bit more that kind of mindset. And what Paul is, is I think, calling us to is to, again, be thinking Christians and, asks, and ask ourselves, look, is, is this how God thinks or is this how the world thinks? Is to be brutally honest with ourselves. Is this, is this, does this align with, with God's thinking? Or is this the world way of thinking? And the scary thing is we all harbor, in some form or fashion, a little bit of that worldly thinking. We all do. Every morning, each of us get up in the morning, and there is something about the world's way of thinking that is going to control or impact how we're going to live that day. I mean, we're not going to be free of that until we get to heaven one day. And so Paul is saying, I beg of you, I urge you, I, I, I just exhort you as strongly as I can, present your bodies, living sacrifices, and don't be squeezed into the world's way of thinking. The positive command is, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. A transformation takes place. It's the Greek word metamorpho, metamorphos, a, a transformation. Let yourself be inwardly changed, transformed. Stop allowing yourself to be squeezed into the world's way of thinking. Be transformed. How? By God's way of thinking. He says, the renewing of the mind. Again, the Christian life is won or lost right here between the ears. We need to be transformed. And how does that transform transformation, that renewing of the mind take place? The tool of renewal? is always the Word of God. 
the enabler of renewal is always the author of the Word of God, the Holy Spirit, who transforms us. The occasion for renewal, well, that's when we connect with His Word. Personal time, personal quiet time, study, reflection, meditation, going before God, spending time in His Word and saying, all right, Father, test me, try me. I mean, is there some wicked way within me, Lord? Help me to understand your heart and its time spent in the Word. Dwight L. Moody, the last couple generations ago, said, the only, way, the only way to keep a broken vessel full is to keep the faucet turned on. It's time spent in His Word. It's time in uh, uh, coming together like this on the Lord's Day of hearing the Word of God taught. It's, it's, it's involving being in a church where the Word of God is taught. It's, it's Christian fellowship. It's iron sharpening iron. It's being involved with each other's lives at a level where there's honest reflection. There's authentic fellowship and relationship. It's, it's cutting out the things that are going to warp our perspective. Do we really need to go to that movie at the Alamo? <laughs> to be exposed to certain things that no Christian really needs to be edified with? I mean, do we really need to do, do we really need to watch that TV? Do I really need to sit there and watch Fox News or, or CNN or MSNBC? I mean, do, does that really edify me? Does it really help me get my thinking in line with God's? And you know what ultimately results? As we're motivated by the grace of God, His mercies, and we're preaching to ourselves the gospel every day, and, and we're taking seriously the real essence of effective Christian living. It's the presentation of our bodies. It's full-on devotion of worship to Him. A life of worship. Here I am, Lord. Take my life. Through the, through the means of renewal, the, the Word of God, not being squeezed into the world's way of thinking, but transformed. You know what really results he says in the last part of verse 2, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. That my thinking becomes now in line with His. That my understanding and perspective of, of the way things really are in life are, are viewed through the lens of God Himself. I begin to, to prove what truly is the will of God, that which is good and, and acceptable and perfect. You want to know what God's will is for a happy home? Then we need to have our minds renewed by the Word of God. You want to know how to live in the, the twilight years of your life in a compelling, effective way for Jesus? Word of God tells us. You want to know how to effectively raise kids for the next generation? Word of God. Do you want to know how to handle the struggles of, of a doctor's report that is anything less than encouraging? The Word of God tells us. And we come before Him, we have our minds renewed, we get that cleansing of His Spirit, and we prove what the will of God is. Our thinking comes in line with His. And that's what the Christian life is all about. It's being lived, being motivated by the mercies of God. 
living out the essence of it, which is this willing surrender of all we are to him. Through the means of the renewing of our minds, not squeezed into the world's way of thinking, transformed by the renewing of our mind, which comes through the word of God, and living out the results. Oh, oh. so God, that's what life is all about. Oh, so that's where I find meaning. Oh, so, so that's what joy is all about. And it's found here. And we align our life accordingly. Now, in the weeks to come, we're going to unpack these verses even more. Just wanted to introduce these two really, really important verses to us this morning. We are to be marked by a radical abandonment to God out of a, a reverent devotion for God. Paul begs us. He begs us. But by the mercies of God to live out in a compelling way, present your bodies a living sacrifice, a, a holy one, a, a pleasing one. Let me mention four things by way of wrapping this up that I hope will maybe sew it together. First of all, consider. Now, what, what are these verses saying to me? Okay, so you just heard a guy flapping his gums for the last 30 minutes. Great. I hope you've enjoyed it. <laughs> but now the burden's on you and me. I just can't study and preach this stuff and then go home and say, well, I checked that week off a list. I have to stand before God and give an account. I've got I to apply this stuff. So do you. So consider what this is saying to you. What hopes, what dreams, what, what selfish ambitions, what worldly ways of thinking might still be entrenched in your mind, in your heart. And so let's, let's just ask God, Lord, reveal to me the, the lies I might be believing about how things really are that really ain't. Lord, would you just show me where I'm, I'm missing it? Consider these truths. Second of all, it's time to confess it then. That simply means agreeing with God. Acknowledge before God. Lord, this, as the Spirit of God is revealing this to me, Lord, I confess this to you. This has been stinking thinking. This, this is lining up with the world's way of thinking. And he'll reveal that to you. I mean, God doesn't play games with us. He's real. It's a relationship. That's what the Christian life is all about. So we go to him. We consider these things. We confess these things before him. And then we, we choose. We commit ourselves to choose to live out the Christian life. Joshua said, choose you this day who you're going to serve. You know, when the Spirit of God brings these things up and he brings us into conviction, we have to make a choice. Are we going to present ourselves? Are we going to confess these things? Are we going to live obedient lives before him through the power of the Holy Spirit? Am I, going to, am I going to say, it's not about me, it's about you? John the Baptist said, I must decrease, you must increase. We make the choice. Living the Christian life is a matter of choices every day. And then we continue a daily, moment-by-moment, walk of faith in the power and strength of the Holy Spirit. We appropriate all this grace that he abundantly 
puts into our daily bank account of life. And we draw upon that moment by moment. Some wag said, and it's often true, the problem with living sacrifices is they keep crawling off the altar. And so we need to continue steadfast, immovable, abounding in the work of the Lord, moment by moment, living for Him. Is He worthy of it? Is He, is he worthy of it? Is life really defined by what we've just read? I mean, am I having more fun? Am I experiencing the fullness of life by kind of doing my own thing? Or are we missing something that God says he came to give us? If he only just, I beg of you, by the mercies of God, he says, I beg of you, get serious about this thing called Christian living. And when you do, my, 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 life begins in the fullness of what he designed it for. As we'll see in the weeks to come. Would you bow your head, please? Father, thank you for the time of the communion, the time of remembrance, a time of worship and reminder of who you are and the wonderful truths that we have sung, but Father, the written word. Um, we have handled holy things this hour and now father we need to consider these things and where confession needs to be done we confess and we leave here making choices lord um, ultimately lord we come before you um, and desire moment by moment day by day to continue in walking in the light of your word, in the power of your spirit, transformed by the renewing of our minds, to live a life of worship before you, to hear one day, well done, good and faithful servant. Words from our Savior, in whose name we pray. Amen.